0: Our focus has really been uh, and where we really bring the most expertise to bear is that existing high-end residential properties.
1: On this episode, we sit down with luxury realtors, Brandon Jones and John Mand. They share some awesome stories about their careers, and what it takes to be a top producing team, as well as some Louisville housing market insights. We really enjoyed having them in the studio, and I think you too will find a lot of value in what they share. Let's get Louisville luxury real estate legends here, the number one team uh, for the past six years. So um, let's just start us off, Brandon. Like, where were you at when you decided to get into real estate?
2: Yeah, so directly out of college, I started working for GE. Um, Started doing sales territories for them, kind of all over the country. I started up in the Northeast and then moved to, like, Middle America in Oklahoma City and Fayetteville, Arkansas. So I managed a territory for them uh, for for five years and liked it. Obviously, great company. Um, But, you know, was from Louisville. My family, friends were from Louisville. Um, Wanted an opportunity to potentially, you know, make more GE doesn't have to pay a ton. Um, And so just moved back and on a whim, got my real estate license did the crash course um, in in two weeks. And so from moving back, I was doing real estate, you know, within like a month. Um, Just always liked real estate, liked architecture, liked, um, you know, I owned a couple or I owned a house at the time. So was familiar with the process. And you know, it was right around then, I guess 2014, when, you know, the real estate shows on TV and flipping homes and all of that was really becoming popular. And so I just thought, I can do this, you know, I have a sales background, I have a network of people. Um, And so just did it and hit the ground running, you know, sold four or five houses within my first few months, and just thought, you know, if I could, if I could really get this going, do a couple, you know, couple closings a a month or something like that, this could really be a really good career. Um, And that was like nine years ago. So I've been doing it ever since. I was at a different brokerage, you know, prior to uh, coming on to Linehan Sotheby's. Uh, Then John went to Thailand with his family for like a month and was like, hey, I got a couple... I think it was really, I think there were houses he didn't really care to sell, but he was like, (laughs) Hey, I'm going to be out of town. If you want to try to, you know, get these to the closing table and did got them sold. And, uh, so now we've been working together now for like three years. Mm -hmm. So just, uh, uh, yeah, been doing that for three years. So it really just kind of, this cool thing about real estate, right? You don't, you know, you can't like get promoted, but you can always sell more. And so it can snowball really quickly. Um, and yeah, almost a decade, decade ago. So, Awesome. What about you, John?
0: Um, yeah, I got uh, licensed in real estate back in 2006. Um, always had an interest in it, like Brandon. Um, I I'd wanted to be uh, an airline pilot, and uh, so I went to college for that and did that for just four years before I got burned out on, on that lifestyle, and real estate was something I was always interested in. I, I thought I really would uh, enjoy commercial real estate, so I worked uh, for uh, four years in a uh, firm that was focused on commercial, but also had some residential projects. And so uh, through that kind of transition towards the residential side, Sotheby's was opening an office uh, here in town and uh, was able to uh, jump on board uh, right at the start of that. So I've been involved with Linehan Sotheby's International Realty since we opened at the end of 2010. And um, haven't looked back. So uh, it's been uh, kind of a wild ride here. We're uh, in our 13th year now in business. Um, and uh, spent the first five and a half or six years uh, as the managing broker, the president of the company. So it really got to, uh, to do a lot uh, and experience a lot, kind of growing that firm and from 10 agents selling, you know, starting with zero in annual sales volume to uh, you know now we're the market leader and uh, with no clear, you know, second place competitor in the luxury segment that we go after. And so it's really been a, a fun journey to be on. Mm-hmm. Could you
1: talk a little bit about that luxury segment and what what you all have been doing these past couple of years?
0: Sure, um, you know our market in Sotheby's uh, International Realty as a brand is always just focused on the, the highest end of the market at whatever uh, markets that they're in. And currently, over uh, gosh, uh, over a thousand offices in seventy countries and territories around the world. So it's really a, a, a huge international uh, brand, obviously birthed out of the uh, Sotheby's auction house uh, that goes back two hundred and fifty years to London. Um, So just a great brand heritage um, and always focused on the finest things in life, you know, artwork, jewelry, uh, and now real estate. Um, So for in Louisville, uh, we really, you know, in our market, define it as kind of we always want to be at least two to three times the median sale price point is kind of where we really start focusing our efforts. And so in Louisville, it's around $500,000 and above. Um, And that, you know, primarily consists of kind of the northeastern quadrant of Louisville. Um, Obviously, we sell all over. We sell in Indiana. We sell in uh, uh, surrounding counties, uh, a lot of farms and estate homes and that sort of thing. Uh, But uh, our branding, our marketing, our service model is really based around that higher end portion of the market. Top kind of 8 to 10 percent of the sales that happen in, in Louisville.
3: Has that been since day one? Were you guys always going after that market or did you grow into that?
0: We always went after it. So that was our singular focus from the get-go. So all the policies, procedures, internal systems, everything that we built uh, as a company was focused on serving that uh, high-end segment. Awesome.
1: So you're selling the best of the best in terms of residential real estate. Does it ever transition? I know you all have land you've listed and sold um commercial property i guess how does that work do you try to stay in the residential lane or if other opportunities come you just take them how does
0: how does that work we are specialists um you know in that high-end residential segment we do broker and have brokered a number of commercial projects we do a tremendous amount of land development um, that obviously naturally dovetails uh, for high-end residential development um, you know with our expertise selling the finished product you know once it's built on the on the lot um, but our focus has really been, uh, it, it, and where we really bring the most expertise to bear, is that existing high-end uh, residential properties.
1: Cool. And so as you've grown your team, you've brought on people like Brandon.
0: Um, how, how do you
1: go about scaling a team, and sure. how did you start that process? Well, I
0: really resisted the team model for a long time. So I was I was busy enough to have a team very quickly in the business. And uh, uh, as I looked around to kind of, you know, real estate models uh, with different brokerages and and operations, the team model was always something that looked to me to be a very low quality service provider. The typical uh, model for it is to have one team leader or rainmaker, and then a bunch of, you know, licensed assistants or new agents that come in under them. And it just falls apart at our end of the market. You know, my clients all are business owners their business their executives. they all have assistance they don't want to deal with John Mann's assistant <laughs> anything you know they want to deal with me and I can't delegate that. So I spent a few years really in kind of fits and starts trying to, to build a workable model and, and I found out that I was always the choke point that um, if I brought on licensed assistants, the issue was I had to interface with the client you know they'd make a request I would delegate that task. You know, the assistant would do some work, report back to me, and then I'd have to report it back to the client. So every communication uh, went through me, and so I was really the bottleneck. And there's just a finite amount of time uh, in the day to respond to phone calls and emails and text messages. And so I thought, this doesn't work. You know, I need to build a team of peers, a team of top agents who are all, you know, can function as my proxy; they're interchangeable with me that I would trust to represent my own property if I was buying or selling. Um, and so, I, I rebuilt that model and uh, thought, you know, maybe there's some people out there who are crazy enough to do this. <laughs> and so, Brandon uh, joined up, as he said, several years ago. Um, we have uh, two other agents on the team, Rain Doherty and Claire Elasia. All of them independently are top agents in the market. Um, they can all, uh, you know, buy and sell property without me. Uh, there's nothing that, uh, you know, I bring to the table other than, the ability to collaborate with other like-minded professionals that are operating at the same level that can provide them with some quality of life. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's the big thing in this business is you really, as Brandon said, you can ramp it up. You can't get promoted, but you can always sell more real estate. Um, but the business can quickly run you over, um, mm-hmm. you know, the hours are, you know, people get into the business saying, well, I, I want to be in real estate because you know, flexible hours. And well, that's right. You have to be flexible because yeah. you're going to work all the hours, yeah. you know, nights, weekends. Um, you know, never take a break or vacation, you know, there's no downtime. And so by having a team of, of, uh, peers that we all work together, it's easy. If Brandon wants to go on a trip or needs a day off or he's sick or, uh, wh- or he's double booked, you know, that there's three other professionals that are uh, top agents in the market that can step in and cover things for him. Uh, if I go on vacation, likewise. So we've really built a great group of people that are able to, uh, tag in and out of, uh, transactions as needed. And maintain the same service model that our clients expect for us yeah that's great
3: I think that an important note on that is like you said the original team model you're bringing a new agent so it's really hard to you know outsource the work you need to do because you're worried they may come in and provide a worse service than you would Mm -hmm. so I guess how do you go about creating that alignment among your team is it just a stern conversation or are you basically recruiting how does that work
0: uh, it's It's been just through recruitment um, and really, you know, just bringing in. Brandon was the top agent, you know, at another brokerage before he joined with me. And so, you know, I don't have a training department. Um, I can't teach people, you know, how to – I could, but I don't have the time, you know, to teach people, you know, all the way through the process. So bringing somebody like Brandon in who, who was already crushing it at another firm, knew exactly what he was doing – Um, And just plugging him into our network, our brand, and providing the extra back office resources with, you know, administrative marketing support. And then just operationally the support of having three other agents that can help, you know, Mm -hmm. fill in the gaps whenever he needs.
1: And for Brandon, um, you mentioned the other brokerages you were with. How would you compare the experience and the differences between now being at Linehan with the team and, and John versus where you were at prior
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, the places I started when I first got into real estate, I mean, they're still great. You know, they're, they're super, they're quality brokerages. They know what they're doing. They have good name recognition. Um, and they were, you know, they were a perfect fit for me at the time, right? They had training, um, training programs and mentor programs, you know, a brand new agent can't call up, you know, the owner of Linehan Sotheby's and say, hey, I I want to join your office. You know, that's one of the things that separates our office from the others is you have to have experience. You have to have a proven track record. That's why, you know, our office only has 40-something agents now versus some of the other brokerages out there that have 400, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Everybody within our office, and actually it was a metric that, uh, Sotheby's International Realty tracked that our office was in the top five in the world in average production per agent, which is a pretty pretty cool metric when you compare it to you know offices in in mm-hmm. Aspen and Malibu and stuff like that. That Louisville, Kentucky has you know <clears throat> per agent the best production. Um, Compared to some of those offices, so the other brokerages are are fantastic. I've referred people who are getting into the business to those brokerages because they provide things that you know our office doesn't. You 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 don't need you can't show up to our office and say how do I how do I write a contract right? Mm-hmm. You you've already done that. You've done it a lot, mm-hmm. um, and so they were perfect fits for me at the time. Um, but when I actually saw an Instagram ad from John. Um, and that's how I even called him. And I was like, man, you know, you sell awesome properties. Like I, let's get some coffee. So we got coffee. Um, he, we, he just, you know, talked to me about Sotheby's international realty, Linehan Sotheby's and, and what it can provide. Then I had, you know, I had another friend who was already a, a, an agent at Linehan Sotheby's. So I was like, you know, this, I, I mentioned it again, you know, before you can't really get promoted within real estate, but I was like, Going joining the office that is at the the top of the market, the leader in the Louisville market, is kind of like a promotion, mm-hmm. and, and so you know when I, I guess got the invitation to join the office, it was just had to take it. I couldn't yeah. you know couldn't say well you know give me a year. It was like okay <laughs> it's it's let's do this, um, and that's when you know John and I started kind of working together and now work together mm-hmm. uh, in an official capacity, and uh, so yeah, I mean it really is. What you're looking for? What, what are you looking for? If you're brand new, you know you need to go somewhere that that has some training mm-hmm. that that's going to be able to. Because real estate school, you guys know, they don't really teach you how to do much. They they teach you how to not get sued, basically. You gotta pass the test, <laughs> right? You just got to pass the test. Um, yeah. I tell
0: every I, new agent, you know, focus on who's going to train you, not not your commission splits out of the gate. You know that the money will come later if you get the right training, and and that's always my focus when referring people to new new agents to brokerages is focus on what their training department looks like, not, not their commission split. You yeah. can always, if you get the training, get the sales, you can get the commission splits you want down the road.
1: The, the saying is work to learn, not work to earn. <laughs> that's
0: right. So you
1: mentioned Instagram and I see you all the time on Instagram and it's, it's great content. Um, I assume that's a big part of your marketing engine, but could you talk a little bit about what, you do specifically to stay ahead as a real estate agent? Um, you know, whether that's technology trends, social media, what are, what are you working on now to like put yourself ahead of, um, other agents?
2: So in terms of, you know, social media and stuff like that, I would love to say that posting about a house is going to sell it, you know, on, on Instagram or something like that. It's not, necessarily true we don't know exactly where buyers are going to come from but it's more just about awareness right um hey i do have i've have this property for sale and I'll have a friend that has a house in the neighborhood. And so they're able to see, Oh, cool. You know, that house just went on the market at that price. Um, it's more of just a reminder that like, Hey, I don't just, you know, play golf and have two kids. Don't forget I am in real estate. And so if you ever have any questions, uh, always feel free to, to reach out and yeah, I mean, some of the properties that we get to list, um, are can be are very recognizable, you know, within our market, right? Um, we have, you know, right now the Box Hill Estate for sale, mm-hmm. um, a super well known property within our Louisville market. And, you know, we'll post it on Instagram and, you know, Cal, you follow me, it's, you're not necessarily going to reach out and say, Hey, I'm interested in Box Hill, but it's Hey, you know, that property is awesome. Um, Is that, you know, where this took place or is that where I think it is type of thing? And so social media just really allows for recognition, top of mind, right? Um, You all are from, you know, you are familiar with Louisville and the Louisville market. You could probably ask within your friend group about real estate and somebody knows somebody who is probably, you know, maybe a realtor, right? Where... If you're constantly posting about things that you're doing, um, it's always, yeah, Brandon sells in Hershburn. Brandon mm-hmm. sells in Norton Commons. And and so it just it allows you to kinda advertise not a particular property, but just your skill set and your service and your experience as a whole. That way, you know, your sphere and, and your friends and stuff, if they do have a question about real estate, you know, will reach out. So that is kind of the the benefit of social media in terms of real estate for me. Sure. Um, and and it just, yeah, it allows you to provide information, basically. Yeah,
0: and I can probably provide a little additional context uh, as the, being the president of the company for the first six years that we were in business in Louisville. You know, my focus and really the focus of Sotheby's International Realty is was relentlessly on quality control, um, and that seems like such a – Uh, simple thing, um, but in the real estate business, actually having quality control across all listings, all agents, um, and a common experience between markets is a revolutionary thing. You know, there are some real estate brands in Louisville that have four or five franchisees. They're all doing their own thing. They're providing different service models, different experiences for their customers Uh, Sotheby's International Realty focuses on a global scale. You know, you can go into our office here or go to Miami or Mumbai or Milan, wherever. You're going to have a similar customer experience in terms of, you know, the aesthetic of the office, the technology platforms, the marketing materials, the level of agents that you'll interface with in those markets. Um, So just it's franchising 101, right? (laughs) Like, hey, we want to have a consistent customer experience. Uh, But it's something that's been notably absent in the real estate franchise world for a long time. Um, And so that that was really the focus uh, for me when I was running the firm. It's certainly the focus for our team, continues to be a focus uh, of the uh, global Sotheby's International Realty brand. Uh, But just as it drilling down to kind of the local market. Um, We built a structure where, you know, we provided that consistency in print marketing, digital marketing, you know, all of the uh, brochures, postcards, whatever it is. um, You know, we wanted to control that at the brokerage level and make sure that every agent's uh, materials looked the same, that we had a consistent brand image going out Been very conscious of this heritage, 250 year brand heritage that we are able to uh, leverage. And we want to make sure that we don't tarnish that, you know, in our, our local market. But Sotheby's International Realty has been a leader, um, in, and they enforce a lot of these standards at their level, um, high-definition photos. You know, it's obviously uh, table stakes now for anybody putting a, uh, a listing on. But when they started the brand in 2005, you had to have professional photography on every listing. You know, this is back when people were snapping them with their own, you know, the, well we probably didn't even have smartphones at the time. You know, they were using little digital cameras and stuff. Um, HD videos, you know, on all the properties, that's something that the brand's been doing for years and years and, and the rest of the market's kind of caught up with that. Um, 3d scans, we do them of every single property that we list. Um, again, these things are all, you know, they pioneered it as a brand standard. That's a requirement across all listings and the rest of the market catches up. So it's always, you know, what's the next thing, you know, maybe it's VR, you know, Sotheby's international is really getting into VR and AR, uh, with, with properties, um, We haven't seen the customer demand for that in the Louisville market, but I'm sure it'll come. But again, they're always out, uh, staying out out in front of that um, on all of those things. That's awesome. Talking
1: about the Louisville market,
0: could you take us back
1: five years, talk a little bit about what's been going on, the trends in the past five years, and then kind of where we're at specifically
0: with what you've seen in the Louisville market? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Louisville market, I mean – um, you know, it's what, February of 23, and uh, it's still doing really well. I mean, we're, we're very busy now. Um, you know, a lot of people just looking back, you know, the important thing is, is the five-year time frame that you just mentioned. You know, if you look back six months ago or a year ago, you know, the sky is falling, everybody's panicking. Um, but uh, if you compare this to five years ago or even just three years, go back to 2019 um, and look at it, this is a phenomenal market that we're in. Um, you know kind of based on pre-pandemic levels, we had twice as many sales last year as we had in 2019 that were a million dollars or more. you know that number's up to almost 200 transactions in the Louisville market. When we started the brokerage 2011, there were 18 sales uh, that crossed this you know uh, the million yeah. dollar threshold. So you know from 18 to 200, you know that high end segment has done really well. Um, and certainly there's a tremendous number of transactions between that 500,000 to a million mark obviously. so, uh, Louisville, you know, doesn't get the big run-ups typically that, uh, the coastal markets receive, but you know, the upside of that is, you know, when things start cooling off, we don't see that huge bust either. And so it's, it's kind of been, uh, I won't say slow and steady cause the last years have been double digit appreciation and transaction counts, but, uh, but certainly, uh, slower than you'd see in some of those other markets. We're we're more moderated, I guess, in our, in our growth, which is helpful. It's more sustainable.
3: How was your all's experience in
0: 2008 and nine with the housing market crash? How did you navigate that? Um, so I was not – we hadn't opened Sotheby's International Realty yet, and so I was on the commercial side of things. Um, and luckily was not uh, entirely commission-based in that position. Perfect. <laughs> so, so I was able to weather it just by virtue of having a, a W-2 at the time. Uh, I don't know, Brandon.
2: Yeah, so I graduated college in 2009, so um, – I was entering the workforce. I guess at that time, uh, I did buy my first property in 2009, and it was funny. You know, last you know last summer and fall, interest rates obviously were starting to tick up, and people were all freaking out. And I looked back, and in 2009, interest rate I got on my house was like was 5.2. I didn't even think anything of it. I thought I've got a house. This is awesome. I have my own place, um, and, and so you know, I was able to 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 get a nice house, move in. It's obviously appreciated really well. Um, And and so I wasn't overly familiar, but when I, when I did get into the business, I guess in 2014, there were a lot more like foreclosure properties than there are, than there have been ever since, right? I was getting on the tail end of those properties that in 2009, you know, or even two thousand. 10 a little bit were taken back over by the bank. So when I got in the business in 2014, there were still bank owned properties that those have, for the most part, you don't really have those anymore. They're really hard to find. They still obviously exist, but they, they, you know, lending requirements have just gotten so much more strict than they were in 2008 and 2009 that, you know, you got to be in a bad position if the bank's taking your property back Mm -hmm. over, right? Um, But, you know, when you loan somebody 120% of what their home is worth, yeah, you're going to be, you can get underwater pretty quick. But I guess for me, that's kind of been the biggest difference. Um, When I first got in the business, people were like, yeah, you know, find me a good foreclosed property um, that I can get a really good deal on and flip. And it's like, any more, here in 23
0: just finding a house is the deal right right? yeah yeah we just got to find a
2: house like you might get to inspect it at this point um so that to me I guess has been the biggest difference from um the 2008 you know 2009 I guess crash um is bank-owned properties foreclosures like they just they're few and far between at this point
3: do you guys have any concerns about market conditions now? Do you think it's going back
0: up or we got a little bit more of a downturn to ride? Um, I don't necessarily think there's a, well, I guess the downturn kind of depends on on what we're talking about going down. Transaction counts going down. Certainly, mm. um, you know, we saw that in the fourth quarter, overall market dropped 30% in terms of unit count. The high end, you know, dropped, uh, I have to look it up, 11 or 12%. Um But uh, pricing has remained stable. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we don't see a a tremendous fall off. I think in Louisville, uh, as most of the country, there's just still a a huge mismatch in terms of the number of homes for sale versus the people that are looking to buy. Um, And so that supply and demand imbalance, I think is going to keep pricing uh, at least stable. Uh, You know, we're we're expecting that over the next several quarters. Uh, We don't see anything that is going to drive us into a, a big correction again there's been some corrections in some of the national markets, you know, the larger markets. Um, but they also had just, you know, just blistering growth you know, yeah. over the last couple of years. So, um, for us, I, I think, you know, this, this is a very comfortable pace that we're at right now. Um, very, very healthy, you know, absent a couple of years during the pandemic. Um, you know, this was, this is the best year on record, you know, that, uh, not influenced by just the manic uh, pace that we had in uh, 21 and 22.
2: And that's too, I mean, at all price points in the last couple of weeks, um, it's just, you know, it's simple supply and demand, right? We had a property that went on the market last week. Um, it list price of 325000 that we ended up with five offers on, right? Um, so we had like 30 people look at it in a matter of three days. And then the weekend before that, we had a property go to market at one, two, one four, one yeah. Four, yeah
0: sold above ask, first sold day. above
2: ask, you know, so it's, it's quality properties and quality areas that are still priced accurately. You are still going to get a lot of activity,
0: Um, so sellers are still in a good, good position. Yeah. The pricing's become critical now. And that's something that we spend a lot of time with our sellers. I have an appointment this evening with a a seller who's frustrated with their experience with another broker because they kind of, they, they went with the pandemic model, which was just put any number on it and somebody's (laughs) going to buy it, right? Well, they tried that, you know, a hundred days ago and it, it hasn't sold. And so, um, you know, those are the conversations we're having now that it is absolutely critical to price these things appropriately. If they are, the market's there. You know, we have the buyers for them, but, uh, but the buyers are, are no longer just, you know, out of control in the sense that they're just not wildly overpaying mm-hmm. for things. They're saying, you know, okay, we'll wait. You know, they're, they're willing to roll the dice. And we're seeing homes that'll take, you know, days or weeks even, um, sometimes months, you know, <laughs> on the market. Um, but that pricing on the front end is really uh, just a, uh, there's a art and science to it. Uh, but you've just really got to be precise and understand, um, you know, what what the market, how the market's going to view a property. And for us, you know, there's a lot of subjectivity that goes into these things that, you know, not all homes are, you know, not all square feet are, are built the same, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you might have 5,000 square feet and, and one might be at, you know, $200 a square foot's a good number for it and the other's at $395 a square foot. And just really being able to subjectively look at it and say, Okay, you know, functionally how are, how is the market going to view this floor plan, how are these finishes, you know, uh, there's a lot that, that we bring to bear when we're going through these pricing analysis to say, here's the range and here's where you are in the range and here's why you're in this 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 segment. So, yeah.
3: Yeah. pricing conversations can be very difficult and especially as, you know, prices come down. How do you guys navigate with, you know, difficult clients who maybe have an inflated sense of value? How do you tackle those
2: situations? We just let the numbers tell the story. You know, um, we, it's funny, we'll walk into a house, we've been in there for 10 minutes and somebody will say, well, what do you think, what do you think we should price it at? And we're like, we just got here. Like we, you know, <laughs> we, we, we don't go to a house with a, with a necessary price in mind um, because then it, you know, We've never been in it, right? And it may have not sold for five years, and so the pictures may not be accurate. So we always go back and, you know, we really drill down into the the comparable sales. Um, and then our experience allows us to look at property A versus property B and say, you know, hey, they are similar in size, but that house has a pool, you know, that's probably going to be worth, you know, 75 grand or a hundred grand in Mm -hmm. in additional value or three car garages versus two car garages or, uh, you know, updated finishes versus non. And so we really provide all of our clients with, you know, very drilled down and accurate reports. You know, we're kind of like appraisers that we take features and we have assigned values to those based on our experience, based on other sales. And so we're able to really it's kind of crazy. We were talking about the other day. We can get pretty close on where these properties are <laughs> going to sell out. I mean, within two or three percent percentage points of of sure. what a property is gonna sell at. Because really, I mean, it's like everything else, right? In the world, if consumers have access to all kinds of information before they see a house, they know what the house sold for right next door. They know what the current owners paid for it. And so they're seeing the same information a lot of times as us. We get mm-hmm. a lot more details. But for the most part, just in a in a broad scope, they they have a lot of the same similar you know uh, numbers and sales. And so we just have to be honest and we have to be realistic. and you know,
0: yeah you know, we have to be yeah, it's fully transparent, like Brandon said. I mean that's that's the biggest part of it. I think for us. You know, we, we, as Brandon said, we don't come in to the first appointment and say, here's what your house is worth. You know, we've already done all the numbers because you've got to see it. You know, you've got to yeah. see the floor plan, see the finishes, see the condition of the property to really be able to dial that in. And then just as a safeguard internally, we run two independent evaluations. You know, so Brandon will do one, I'll do one, or, or whichever team members are involved and then we compare notes and say, okay, and if there's a discrepancy there, you know, we kind of sort through that internally before we even meet with the seller to, to, to give them that information. But just having an extra set of eyes on it um, is super helpful. Um, and there's a number of times where I'll have, I'll come up with something and Brandon's got another idea. And, and uh, you know, I, I may be the one that's wrong. You know, I'm like, well, you know what? I didn't think of that. That is going to be a major problem. You know, the buyers are going to raise this objection. We, we do need to acknowledge that in the pricing. And so, um, but the last thing we want to do is come in with a preconceived notion of what it's worth. Cause you know, I found that immediately once, you know, in sellers press us for this all the time at the table, you know, we're sitting at the kitchen table, what's it worth? What, what's your gut tell you? And I, I won't say, cause as soon as I say a number, man, I'm anchored to that number and I'm going to go back and, and drill down on these comps and I'm going to try to curve fit the data to make myself right, you know? And so we really want to let the data lead the decision rather than us you know, shooting from the hip on that, um, and all of these things. I would say we've also learned a lot of humility in the pricing over the years. In the sense that, you know, w- we can drill down, you know, to the nearest dollar. You know, it's funny these reports spit out to the nearest yeah. dollar what the houses were. That I'm like, we're not that good, <laughs> but we are pretty, pretty darn good, as Brandon mentioned. Um, but it, they're all opinions of value, and and that's what it comes down to is that. Um, we can, we're we really good at this. Um, we certainly uh, have done this a long time and had a great track record. Um, but there's homes that, you know, we've said it's worth X, and the seller says, you know what, I think it's worth a little bit more. We'll, we'll try that. And we're happy to be wrong, you know, if somebody's willing to pay more. I mean, that is the definition of market value. It's, you know, what's an uh, informed, you know, arm's length buyer willing to pay for a property. And so we've seen surprises to the upside we're happy when we're wrong, you know, in those circumstances. Um, we've seen surprises to the downside. And so, you know, and sellers will come back to us and say, well, hey, you said it was worth this. And and we can say, you know, that's what the comps indicated, you know, on that date, you know, based on what was going on in the market. You know, we're six months later or, a year, you know, whatever the time frame is. You know, markets change, and it depends on who's in the market at that time. And so with the high-end segment particularly, it is such a thin segment of the Louisville market that pricing is Fairly, can be fairly inefficient, you know, especially as you get out of kind of, you know, neighborhoods that are planned communities that have very similar inventory, you know, in those it's very easy to get really precise. But as you get out to these larger estates where they're on acreage or they've got outbuildings and there's a lot of variances between them and, you know, the comps, um, it becomes much more subjective, pricing is much more inefficient. And, you know, again, we've seen people that come in and just say, this is perfect, I'm, I'll take it. But if that person's not in the market, you know, <laughs> you know, it it just all depends on who's in the market at the time that property, uh, you know, hits the MLS or we start showing it.
2: And you only have to sell a house once, right? <laughs> you know, we don't have to convince twenty people that this is what it's worth. If you find somebody that's exactly what they're looking for, that's exactly the area they've been they've been mm-hmm. searching for two years for this exact house, they're probably going to be willing to pay a little sure. more than somebody who, eh, you know. I'll live anywhere. Well, and that's
0: area. it. It's it. You know, for homes or real estate, residential real estate as an asset class, there's utility in in use, right? So they, people get value out of just having a house. So you know, if they come along, as Brandon said, and this is what they've been look they've been looking for two years for. You know, they've got very tight criteria. This one checks the boxes. You know, the dollars they're certainly important but they become a little less important to that buyer if they think, well, the alternative is my family might not have a home to live in for another two years while we continue searching. And so there's value and use to the buyer. And that's, that's difficult for us to quantify um, on a report because it depends on who's in the market and how frustrated they are in their home search.
1: So. Absolutely. Is there a, a favorite part of the transaction process? Closing. You, you enjoy it the most? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um. Just having happy clients. I mean, really, you know, like, you know, obviously we could say closing is the best part. Of course, of course it is for us. But in the end, you know, it's not even trying to be lame, but our our clients, when they're at the closing table and they have the keys and they're meeting the person that's buying their house and it was smooth, you know, the whole way and they're happy and everybody's just happy, Mm -hmm. um, that is that's what makes our job, you know, yeah. the easiest and the most fun. Just when, you know, it, when both parties, I guess, are happy and and things went smoothly, right? You yeah. asked this price, you know, these people mm-hmm. paid this price and negotiations were smooth for the most part. It's when you get really into the, we, you know, it. some of the conversations we have, I mean, mm-hmm. you just, you wouldn't believe. And, and, and so keeping everybody smooth, keeping mm-hmm. everybody, you know, keeping somewhat emotions out of it, um, is probably the part that is, the yeah, nicest, I think for, guess,
0: I think for us, yeah, the process is the product, right. We're, and so it's not, you know, there's no single step in it that it, it's like, Hey, we're delivering value here, you know, and, and we'll see you at the closing table or something, but just being able to manage these things from start to finish, it's very gratifying. I mean, I, you know, we really enjoy it. The clients, I think just having the ability, um, you know, that when they can see the value that we've added to the transaction, I I think that's probably my favorite part. And that comes at different stages of the process, depending on the property. And so, and there's some transactions that go pretty smoothly that, you know, if you didn't even have an agent in the transaction might've gone just fine, but there's any number of pitfalls, you know, in ways that those things can veer off, off a track. And it's kind of like, you know going to court, I guess, in the sense that, you know, if you can represent yourself, and maybe that'll work out, but it depends on how good the other attorney is, right? And so I think that's part of, you know, part of it is just those transactions when we can really, you know, it's evident to the, to our clients that, wow, I'm glad we had these guys involved. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they can see, you know, that where we brought our expertise in, and, and it really made a difference for them. Yep. And
3: real estate, I mean, it's, it's a high stakes game in terms of people are making life changing decisions. Mm -hmm. So you want to make that, that dream be a reality. And sometimes it can quickly turn to a nightmare. Mm -hmm. What are some, I guess, pitfalls to avoid early on in your career? And then obviously as when you're starting out, you're saying yes to everything. And then there comes a point in your career when you're so busy, you can start saying no to the, the red flags. What are those red flags or nightmares you guys try to avoid? Why would you say no to working with a client?
0: Sure, I would say just in terms of the pitfalls, um, you know that these real estate purchasing or selling decisions they're typically tied. You mentioned the stress; they're typically tied to major life decisions. You know, people are getting married, or they got divorced, or they you know had a baby, or someone's died, or you know they're they got a new job, or they just got fired <laughs> from a job. Um, you, all of these are huge stressors. And, um, you know, the process of buying and selling a house is stressful on its own. So, it is, it is great, I think, for us to be able to step into those circumstances and provide counsel and care for these people and, and help navigate that, take some of that weight off of them. Um, and so, I, I think from a realtor perspective where I see issues um, come up a lot of times is, the agent just has to get their ego out of the process, that this is not about you. You've got a client who's going through a major, you know, change in their life circumstance for one reason or another, good or bad. Um, They're dealing with a huge financial transactions. And we see a lot of agents that really start injecting themselves into these and making them more difficult or more stressful on their clients than they need to be. Um, And that's that's something that I think is a huge pitfall for new agents is is they think it's about them. It's not. You've just got to, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, comments we'll get or or the way things are handled by other agents and you know and it'll trigger a, a response kind of an angry response sometime but we don't lash back out you yeah. know we, our job is to de-escalate and, and help these things go smoothly and so I think just realizing it, it's not about us um ultimately that we're trying to accomplish something for a party that we have a fiduciary responsibility to um is the key
2: and two it's just about you have to you have to set proper expectations for people. Right. Um, you know, obviously our goal for our clients, if we're, you know, representing a property, our, our goal is to get the highest price possible, but I'm not buying that house. You know um, I, I, I actually bought a listing of ours last year, but um, <laughs> you know, it, it, we're, we can't always bail people out like that. Right. So you still have to be um, realistic with your people. And, and if, if you aren't, if the, if their expectation is just so above and beyond what, you know, our opinion of value might be, then you have to really ask yourself, is this going to be worth my time? You know, starting out when I was brand new, sure. I would sell anything. I'd sell anything. I'd sell it anywhere. Hey, Mr. Or Mrs. Seller, what do you think your house is worth? It's worth 800. Well, you know, I, I think it's probably only going to be worth 500, but whatever, I'll sell it anyway. I'll, I'll do it for you. You know, and and that's how I was at the beginning. But even, you know, in the last couple of weeks we had a property, Mm -hmm. um, our opinion of value was one thing. The seller had, you know, another number that he, you know, thought the property was going to be worth and we just did not see it. Combine that with, well, Hey, you know, I can only pay you guys so much Mm -hmm. and we, it, it just ended up not being a good fit. Right. Like, because our service model is one of we're physically present every time a house is shown Um, and, and so that's one of the reasons why I think, you know, I know that we have been the market leader in the high end segment because our clients, you know, they're used to first class service. If they go on vacation, they have first class service. If they have, you know, any, all parts of their life, right? They are getting white glove treatment and that's what we like to provide to our clients. So we have a lot of time invested into all of the properties yeah. that we represent and to the point where we were going to have to drive out every time to show this property that we don't even think is, is anywhere in the ballpark of the price range that's going to gonna eventually it. transact at. It just, John's got three kids, I've got two kids. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I'm not driving out on a Friday right. night out to Henry County to show this property that eh, it's probably not even going to sell. So, you know, we've got to just just have a realistic
0: expectation of, of transacting because of the, as Brandon mentioned, you know, the the time investment is is really the critical piece that showing up every single time one of our listings is shown is just a huge commitment. And we're on call 24 seven to make that happen for the sellers Um, on top of all the dollars, you know, all the marketing, print, digital, uh, everything else that we do, um, we get tremendously financially invested in our, every listing we take and then just the time commitment. So, you know, we have to go in on the front end with a reasonable expectation that, you know, hey, we, we probably will, will be successful in this and, and, you know, financially gain from it uh, on the back end. Um, and, and we're happy to turn down listings over pricing. Um, that said, again, we're not clairvoyant, and so there's always a conversation with every seller um, and we are willing to test market pricing in different circumstances. Um, but if it's just so far out of bounds that we know this is crazy, uh, it's going to damage our brand. We're going to look foolish for putting this on. It's not going to sell. Everybody's going to drive by and go, I wonder why John and Brandon haven't sold that one yet. Um, and so we're very careful about that. But really, it's it's just protecting our time and, and financial investment in the listings that we do take on. We want to make sure we've got the resources to pour into the people that are, that are really ready to – meet the market and understand, uh, you know, what a home's worth. Um, so we turn them down. I mean, overpricing, I'd say more than, than anything. Um, and ultimately that's really kind of inert to our benefit long-term in that I get a lot of calls. We get a lot of calls where six months later, a year later, (laughs) two Mm -hmm. years later, you know, somebody calls us and says, Hey, we've been on the market for a long time. It hasn't sold. Remember last year you told us this, you know, everybody else can can promise kind of pie in the sky. And, and that's a typical kind of competitive strategy for brokers is if I tell you the house is worth X and somebody else comes along and says it's worth X plus 20%, you know, you're, you're probably going to hire that person. Um, ultimately we don't do that. And we've never done that as a business practice because we know it's, it's to the client's disadvantage in those circumstances because a house that sits on the market for a year or six months or whatever it is, even when they price it back down to X that we told them, now they've got six months or a year of marketing history. And the offers you get, you know, after that time frame are very different. If they'd have gone on the market at that, they probably would have gotten that number or very close to it. A year later, you know, buyers, the, the first thing a buyer says when they come in a house and they like it is, hey, how long's it been on the market? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that greatly influences the type of offer that they're going to make on it. So um, we know as a fiduciary that, we can't, we can't put our customers in those positions. And so we'd rather pass. And if they come back to us down the road, which they often do um, you know, we're, we're happy to re-engage then. That's, that's gotta be a good, feel, a good feeling that, you know, <laughs> you get a call and you're
1: like, yeah, I was right about that. And then they want to work with you because <laughs> sure. then it's like, okay, we sure. can.
0: Again, just speaking to the inefficiencies in the market, there's some that we've passed cause we're like, that is crazy. And then lo and behold, it turns around and sells and we're like, okay, we missed it, you know, but that, those are, those are outliers, very few and far between, but, but they do happen.
1: I'm curious, what's the craziest or most bizarre way you've either got a listing, created a client relationship, anything I kinda, come to mind? I, I've
0: got a pretty good one here, and Brandon already alluded to it. I was on a, uh, a trip through Southeast Asia and with my family for vacation in, in 2019 and, uh, ran into a guy in the hotel lounge, uh, in Bangkok, and uh, we started chatting. My, my daughter looked over and said, "I know that girl," um, and so it was somebody she knew from school here in Louisville. Uh, <laughs> so what? we walk over and start talking to him. And uh, Loneville they were basically doing the exact same kind of tour through Southeast Asia that we were, going the opposite direction, and uh, ended up he had a house uh, out in Oldham County that he needed to sell, and uh, got so I got the listing while I was in uh, in Bangkok. <laughs>
3: That's incredible. You got a listing back home, <laughs> back home. on the other side the of the world. Yeah, that lives
0: five minutes from my house, yeah. yeah. Uh, so. Weird place to set a <laughs> listing appointment. <laughs> <Exactly>. but <laughs> Meet me in
3: Bangkok. Uh, uh, That's awesome. What about you, Brandon?
2: I don't have a really any overly crazy stories like that. I mean, last August, you know, we went to a, a Sotheby's International Realty event in Austin um, where there were, you know, people from all over the country, um, you know, Denver and Malibu and obviously Austin and Dallas and Houston. And it was kind of cool. So we were, you know, having um, drinks with some agents one night, uh, a couple guys out of Las Vegas um, and we were talking with them and he just said, Hey, you know, I think I've got some clients that are going to be are moving to Louisville here soon. So we followed up with them the next week and sure enough, I mean, there was a guy he was uh, relocating for UPS um, from Las Vegas to Louisville and Mm -hmm. we ended up working with them. And so you just, you, you never know where people are going to, you know, Mm -hmm. come in from. Um, and and so it was just that, that's one of the, obviously one of the cool Mm -hmm. things is about Sotheby's is just the, the international reach and, and people move to Louisville. There's a lot more business and a lot more money in Louisville than, than you think if you're just from here.
0: Sure. And, and the. Sotheby's International Realty Network is has really been an incredible strength for us in terms of just servicing our clients, you know, not only here, but, you know, people in Louisville vacation or they live, you know, have second homes in a lot of places. So we've been involved in transactions, you know all over Florida, you know, the uh, southwestern U.S., L.A., uh, Spain, New Zealand, you name it, and it's really cool to be able to, to connect people. I've got a, a client looking at large ranches out in uh, Wyoming right now, so I'm hopeful to tag along on a couple of those trips too, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> do the shopping yeah, with great, them. But, yeah. it, but it's great to have a network of, of these agents around the world. Uh, basically, anywhere you would want a vacation property, um Sotheby's has an office there that's kind of uh, a metric I would think that's probably pretty accurate um and so just having a trusted network of people that we can refer them to to take care of them no matter where they are in the world has been has been great
1: yeah no that's the truth I was in Malta two years ago um little country Mm -hmm. island south of Italy and I saw a Sotheby's office Mm -hmm. and I sent a picture to Brandon Mm -hmm. I was like this is crazy I mean you (laughs) can probably get connected with that person like that that's right um so had a had
3: a question lost it. Um, I got one go for it. um I was curious you guys have obviously been in the business a while, and at first a lot of your you know your personal network's usually what people tell you to go to first mm-hmm. to find business nowadays, with all the different channels you guys have built mm-hmm. and have as a international brokerage, where do you see most of your clients coming from? Is it still your personal network? Is it referrals?
0: A lot of referrals. I mean, at this point in our business, um, you know, there's a tremendous amount of referrals and repeat customers, and that's that's super gratifying. Obviously, that people uh, enjoyed working with us enough that they're either coming back for more or they're you know sending their friends and family to us. So that that's a huge portion of it. But um, marketing-wise, I mean, I, I would say this: we spend a fortune on on marketing and just advertising to reach new people um, as a brokerage and as a team. Um, and, and there's really I haven't found any of our marketing dollars to to, um, to be wasted. Um, they all, it everything works. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, um, I think, what, you know, As I when I was running the brokerage, I tried to drill into uh, all the agents that we recruited into their heads, was pick something. You know, if you like mailing postcards, if you like Instagram, if you like, you know, Facebook, or just going to cocktail parties and galas, and, you know, uh, whatever it is, Pick something and just you have to do it consistently. They mm-hmm. all work. All of it works. And it, it's really just that consistent consistency and the persistence of, you know, being able to, you know, if you're spending money on postcards and you sent eight of them out and you haven't, the phone hasn't rang, you know, just having the will to say, okay, I'm going to keep going. I've got 10 more to send this year and I'm just going to keep spending this money. Um most people fail. Obviously, you've seen the studies that, you know, it's if it takes eight times, they're quitting on six or seven, you know, before uh, um, uh, reaching the customer. And so that's that's really what I have found is we do it all. But just coming from a, uh, the airline background pilot kind of mindset, I'm very systems oriented and checklist driven. And so we plan everything out, and we execute against that plan every year. And, um, you know, regardless of if the phone rings or not, we just keep keep doing it because we know ultimately those efforts, you know, over a, a length of time are going to yield yield results for us.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just it consistency and not being afraid to, to talk about, you know, your profession. I mean, people – they love real estate. They're obsessed with talking about it. They are obsessed with knowing what is my house worth or what did the house down the street sell for? And so, you know, you just don't downplay it. If you're out with some buddies and somebody says, man, you know, I saw that house the other day on your story or whatever. Well, what's the story on that? Just be like, oh yeah, you know, it's a nice house. No, I mean, talk about it. They're asking, talk about your experience. And they may not be buying a house that year, but you know, a year and a half, two years, something happens, they, they're they going to call you because you weren't afraid to talk about it. So, um, I mean, people, they just, they love it. I mean, they just love real estate. They love talking about cool features. I get a question, you know, what what mm-hmm. what's the story behind such and such house? And, you know, it was one we sold in Harrods Glen mm-hmm. uh, 18 months or so ago, and it, the basement was just unbelievable, right? Big stone bar, mm-hmm. huge fish tank, <laughs> golf simulator. So, you know, I was able to talk with, a lot of my buddies like, man, like you should have seen this place. Like it was, it is exactly what we need, you know? And people just, they love hearing about it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it is one of the cool things about real estate is everybody Everybody, has a house, you know, everybody can relate. Everybody wants to know what's going on. I mean, it's not any, you know, it's not insurance. People, people like talking about real estate nothing Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with insurance. You got to have it. I got plenty Mm -hmm. of it, but, um, you just can't be afraid to talk about it and speak to your experiences, especially when people ask, because that is your marketing. Mm-hmm. That is your sphere. People aren't going to walk up to you in the grocery store and say, I, you're a realtor? You know, <laughs> I, I want to know something. You know, you have to. Are you, you Brandon sure. Jones? exactly. exactly. <laughs> CEO? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, you just got to put yourself out there a little bit and not be afraid, because if, if, if you're not answering the phone, somebody else is.
1: hmm has someone come up to you out in public, out of the blue, <laughs> recognizing you?
0: Thankfully, uh, well, I I had one, but it was but it was another realtor, um, and so that okay. was that doesn't count. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think
1: I think I saw you at Lowe's and just seeing your face like on Brandon's Instagram, uh, I, was, I was like, I think that's John Mann. Yeah, but <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say anything. Well, good, that, that
0: would have been embarrassing. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, thank you. You're a local celebrity me. of thank you sorts. For sparing me? No, no, I appreciate it. 1104.
3: All right. Well, we can hop into the blitz round. Um, These are just two quick rapid fire questions for both of you. We'll start with Brandon.
2: What book has had the biggest impact on you? or and everything like that. Um, Book, I I read to relax, I guess, or kind of, I don't read fiction, but I like to relax and ponder life, right? I don't need to read a book about how to buy 20 multifamily properties, you know, in the next two years. Like, it's just, I'm, it's not my style. It's, it's obviously hugely beneficial, but I don't know. I mean, you Cal, I, I, something. You yeah, I gave you that green lights book, that Matthew McConaughey yeah. book. That oh, yeah, was a good one. Um, just a uh, little life lessons, you know, I've got two young kids, so stuff, you know, probably family, family type stuff and putting, instilling quality values in your kids. That That's probably kind of what I'm diving into a lot now.
3: Um, well, since you have what? kids, we could switch it to what, is your favorite children's book you read to your kids?
2: That would definitely be, uh, the book cars and trucks and things that go. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) I I dive into that with my daughter probably daily. We look for Goldbug, and we have a a really, really good time with that. So that, yeah, that book always really makes me smile.
0: Awesome. What about you, John? Um, which which question am I answering? Uh, What what book has had the biggest (laughs) impact
3: or just your favorite book?
0: Sure. Um, other than the Bible, maybe I guess, uh, you know, um, in terms of business books, I, you know, I can't point to any one. I mean, okay. I, I read a tremendous amount of, of uh, books just regularly. I've always got three or four that I'm reading at any one time. But uh, you know, I'll try to have a fun book. I'll have some theology books. I'll have a, a business book. You know, something um, self improvement type stuff um, as well. But you know, there's no standout. It seems everything I read, you know, you pick up pick up something from it um and uh you know try to make that work in in your business practice and there's always uh gaps and you know if you're realistic at all and just self-aware you know you can look at your business or your life and say you know here's here's an area that i could grow in and uh so just kind of I get a little bit of something from everything I read. I would say
3: every book has those little nuggets that mm-hmm. you know just
1: timeless. Anyone can mm-hmm. relate well, to. It's they hit, they hit you at the right time. They, yeah. When you reread it, you're going to find That's right. something yeah.
0: else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a few that you know I will reread uh, occasionally, and, and absolutely, yeah, you go back through and you kind of mine it for some more uh, more gems, uh, greater depth. Yeah. All
1: right. So the second blitz and the last question is if. Business meetings had a walk-up song, so you're going to a listing appointment. Maybe a hype song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What song are you playing?
0: I'm gonna let Brandon because I don't listen to a ton of music. Uh, um, so I let Brandon feel this one. He's he's, he's the hype man. Yeah, sure.
2: yeah, yeah. On that one, I would probably I would go with the Vici Levels. Okay, it gets me pumped would get the, would get the other people in the meeting pumped up. You know, there's no words, so there's nothing you really got to worry about there. Um, But just to get everybody, get the energy level up, get everybody excited um, to know that we're, we're about to do a great deal. So yeah, yeah. it would definitely, it would definitely be levels. That's, that's, that's my go-to. Awesome.
3: Well, thank you guys for coming on. This has been great. You guys got any, if uh, our listeners want to reach out or find out more about what you all are doing, any plugs for the, for the audience?
0: Sure. Uh, Website's got all of our contact info on there. Uh, It's just johnmand.com, J-O-N-M-A-N-D.com. Phone numbers, uh, all the Instagram handles and all that stuff. Um, You want to throw anything out?
2: No, johnmand.com. I mean, it's the premier search engine for (laughs) Louisville
0: real estate. So
2: um, you want to look Look at the best properties in town. Go there if you want more information about us or contact information. Definitely, definitely go there. So I'm going
1: to plug your Instagram, Brandon. It's B Jones underscore CEO. Mm-hmm.
2: That's right. It's a perfect combination of of kids, <laughs> golf, and real estate. So. Awesome.
3: Well, we'll put those links in the description and thank y'all.
0: Perfect.
2: Thanks, Thanks guys.
1: Hey guys, it's Cal here. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the How To Business Show. If you would like to stay up to date with upcoming episodes and what we're doing behind the scenes, make sure to follow us on social media. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and our website, www.htbshow.com. Finally, you have a story to share or some feedback for the show, feel free to contact us at HTBS at Important links for today's episode can be found in the description. From all of us on the How To Business team, thank you for listening and see you next time.